high above historic Belfont and still in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 19. Carlisle, come for the history, stay for the pub crawl. Seen Through a Glass is about food and drink in central Pennsylvania, but up till now I've mostly been in the northern part of that area. I haven't really done anything in the southeastern Harrisburg metro area. That's changing, starting today. You folks deserve some stag time, and you're going to be getting it. It all starts with Carlisle, the county seat of Cumberland County. It's an old town, founded in 1751, and named for the English market town that is also the center of Cumberland County in England. Carlisle was largely a frontier military outpost during the late 1700s. Carlisle Barracks was established in 1757 and is the second oldest active military post in the United States, after West Point. It was the muster point for the troops President Washington led to suppress the Whiskey Rebellion. I worked for a week there at the Army War College Library as part of my Army librarian training back in the 1980s. I remember going out for a steak dinner at the Fireside Inn, which is now the Rustic Tavern. Carlisle is also home to Dickinson College, a private liberal arts college, and the Dickinson School of Law, the oldest law school in Pennsylvania, now owned and run by Penn State. Mary Hayes McCauley, the historical Molly Pitcher, we think, is buried in Carlisle, and the Carlisle auto shows are held at the fairgrounds on the edge of town. The big Corvettes at Carlisle event is the last weekend of August. There was a Jeep Jamboree the weekend I was there. For a stag listener, though, the cool part about Carlisle is that you can walk to a lot of the bars and cafes. Carlisle is positively stuffed with places to go, all in the historic middle of the town. Besides a ton of shops that I didn't have time to visit, candy, gifts, vintage clothing, antiques, and a cheese shop I did visit because, well, cheese. I visited four breweries and one unusual brewery taproom, a distillery pub, a cider bar, a Belgian beer cafe, a stylish cocktail bar, a hot dog joint, all on foot. And just for good measure, I hit a barbecue shack and another brewery on the way out of town. I did it all in a day, because you deserve it. And for those of you keeping score at home, I have the fifth in the series of OG beer bar interviews. And there was another one that I'm going to have to go back and get in the future. I'm telling you, this town is packed. Plus, holy heck, Carlisle has a go-cup ordinance. In the Central Business District, you're allowed to carry your drink with you on the sidewalk. Beer, wine, cider, or straight-up spirits are fine. The town rule does not cover cocktails and highballs, though, because Pennsylvania law specifically prohibits that. For God's sake, don't ask why, because I guarantee no one remembers. We're going to get to all of that, but first, here's what I'm drinking today. What I'm drinking today is Nuglaris 30th Anniversary Quadruple. New Glarus? Like Wisconsin? You can't even get that in Pennsylvania. And you're definitely not getting any of this limited-release 30th anniversary quadruple. So why am I talking about it? Am I teasing you? Rubbing it in your face? Of course not. But this is a significant brewery, an icon. And not being able to get it in Pennsylvania is a reason to talk about it, if only to encourage you to get to Wisconsin at some point, just so you can drink New Glarus. Because honestly, it's that good. So let's light this 10.5% candle. I poured this beer and was astounded by the color um, when it came out of the out of the can. And it is in a can, which kind of surprised me for a 30th anniversary quadruple. Um, 
it poured so red and garnet in color, I was thinking maybe they had accidentally canned their Belgian cherry in, in this, uh, instead of the quadruple, but one smell dispelled that idea. Um, this smells richly of, of malt and the Belgian yeast effects. It's very spicy. It's richly sweet. And they're, the malts are not just uh, American. I believe there are German. Hang on a sec. It's here. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, Czech, German, and American malts in this. Um, and it's, wow, a little bit of licorice, some dried fruit, something like a, almost like fruit cake. Oh, wow. What is that smell? Like a dried cherry, but maybe a, a dried sour cherry. I can't wait. I'm, I'm diving in here. Oh my gosh, that's creamy. Wow, sorry. Um, Dan Carey, the brewer at New Glarus, the owner, the brewer at New Glarus, is just a, a genius when it comes to malt. Mm. Wow, the carbonation is just pitch perfect. It's exactly what you want in a beer this big. It's not fizzy, but it's present. Um, it really enhances the, the overall character of the beer and the finish is, wow. It, I'm really getting that uh, fruitcake with tart cherry, uh, coming down the, the back of my throat. Mm. I'm sorry. I can't stop drinking this. It's really good. So if you're not familiar with New Glarus, you got to go there. It's in New Glarus, Wisconsin. It only, they only sell their beer in Wisconsin. Uh, they pulled back to that market quite a few years ago and they've been doing pretty well ever since just selling beer there. God bless them. Somehow I got on their sample list and they've been sending me samples of their beers for years and I deeply appreciate it. This one, this one is just something special. The color is amazing. The aroma is fantastic. And the mouthfeel is almost as good as the flavor of the beer, which is phenomenal. Wow. Wow. Drink more Belgian beers. Drink more beers from New Glarus. Drink more good, well-thought-out beers. More well-executed beers. Not just the, the hop of the moment. Find yourself some really, really good beer and spend some time with it. That's what this is saying to me. That and, wow, 30 years. I guess you just get really good after 30 years. Cheers, Nuclearis. And cheers to Dan and Deb Carey. Thanks, guys. Thanks for all these beers. So as I said, there is an OG beer bar here in Carlisle. It's the Market Cross Pub. And as promised, I got an interview. But there's a twist. I interviewed Kevin Spicer, who's the brewer. Market Cross has been an exceptional beer bar since 1994, which is pretty early in the game for a beer bar in a fairly small college town in central Pennsylvania. But they took a truly different path in 2002 when they added a brewery. They didn't become a brewery. They decided to add house-made English-type ales to the beers they were already offering. 
There aren't many places like that anywhere, especially ones where those house beers are as good as they are at the Market Cross. So let's ask Kevin about it. He's been the brewer since the beginning, and I remember interviewing him for my Pennsylvania Breweries books 20 years ago. So, hey, I'm here with uh, Kevin Spicer, the head brewer at Market Cross Pub in Carlisle. Hi, Lou. How you doing? Good, good, man. Good, man. (laughs) Doing great. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. yeah. I I visited Market Cross, we figure, about 20 years ago uh, when I was working on my uh, Pennsylvania Breweries book. And... uh, I think that's the last time we saw each other. Uh, that's right. I, I, I mean, I'm driving into town. And I realize how much I, I, I really like this town. Oh, well, I like it too. Yeah, and, I just don't get here. I still have that signed copy of the book. Do you really? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. I haven't read it lately. But well, yeah, yeah. Few people have. <laughs> I have. So how 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 long have you been in, involved here? Well, uh, this goes back to right around 2000. Uh, so it's been it's been about twenty two twenty three years. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you were the guy who started started the brewing here. Uh, yeah, Carlisle had been uh, a brewing desert for quite a long time. I, I I think the last brewery in this area was sometime around the nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties. Uh, I, I think I'm not one hundred percent sure, but there hasn't there wasn't really any action certainly since the nineteen sixties and early seventies. So uh, back in uh, I guess it would have been. 2000, 2001, I think was the first batch that I'd made. Uh, we were at that point the only game in Cumberland County because this was before, oh, wow. yeah, this was before Appalachian Brewing uh-huh. uh, was up and running and uh, before Trogues. It was right around close to that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're, we were the only, uh, maybe Trogues was up and running, but I know as far as Cumberland County goes, we were the only. Yeah, the actually, only game yesterday in town. was uh, 26 years for Trogues. I just happened to oh, see it on Facebook. 26 years, okay, yeah. so they so were they, up and running. That's they right. were up, okay. yeah. I sometimes get confused with my time here versus the. In, in addition to that, we had the homebrew store in town, oh, and so right. that's okay. kind of confusing me. I kind of overlap well, and, those. And those Market Cross was a, a beer bar. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Uh, it was for the longest time. In fact, the introduction of uh, distilled spirits is is rather recent. It's no only kidding. been the last five or six years. Oh, I, I didn't realize they got that. that in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they they felt the need to do so because uh, they were they were losing some some customers. Uh, you know, husband wife comes in and, and, and maybe she doesn't like beer uh, yeah. or vice versa, whatever. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, they wanted to offer uh, an alternative. So yeah. instead of losing the customer, they sure they got the booze. Yeah. yeah. Why lose? When Make a new one. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. You were around here. Then. Well, what Does happened? This is a, it's just a, such a funny story because I uh, there was a newspaper article about uh, this pub opening in town. Uh-huh. And uh, I had just, I believe, I, I started home brewing at that point. So I was pretty enthusiastic about a craft brewery opening. I know up what that's like. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, of course, they're not a brewery and weren't a brewery then. But um, the one day I happened to walk by, I left school because uh, my previous life was a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm walking down the sidewalk here and I see that the door's open, the front door's open. Now, of course, this dining room wasn't here then. This was part of oh, the expansion okay. that happened later. Right. So the original pub is just over there, that part. Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty small. But uh, I walked in and uh, Jeff Goss was here, the owner. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, Can I help you? I said, oh, I just saw the door open. I thought you guys were, were open. I was going to come in to get a beer. And he says, Well, <laughs> We're not really open yet. I just had the door open. So I introduced myself and told him who I was, and I had a homebrew shop in town. And as it turns out, Jeff really didn't know a lot about beer. Okay. And so he says, well, you know what? It would be really helpful if you would be willing to come in and talk to our staff and blah, blah, blah. Nice. So I did, and a wonderful relationship ensued from that point on. And then, in the meantime, I 
been homebrewing for a while, and uh, Jeff had asked me if I had any interesting homebrew recipes, and I said yes. Uh, so he came over to the house one day and tried my uh, my red ale, okay, which is now Marker Cross Red, which is the first flagship beer nice. here. And he really liked it. He says, "Well, I'd like to do this." See, what happened in the meantime was Wade Keach, right, started his place down in York at the Cyber Center, which yep. was Whitetail. Whitetail, yeah. And um, that one summer, uh, since I had off, I was like, you know, I'd like to like to do this because there was an article about him in the newspaper. Lo and behold, I come in here one day. I'm sitting at the bar in the afternoon. Nobody else is around. Just me. And uh, Wade Keach walks through <laughs> the door. And I knew who he was because I saw his picture. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, I said, hi, how you doing? He says, oh, I'm pretty good. He said, are you manager or owner? And I said, no, I'm just a customer. I said, but you're Wade Keach. And he, he goes, well, how did you know that? I said, I saw you in the paper and I read your story. And so he sat down, and we started talking, and one thing led to another, and I started going down and helping him a few days a week. Oh, okay. And then he, uh, Jeff approached him, and he agreed, that let's go ahead and do this. So we brewed the Market Cross Red at his facility down there. Okay. And that's how it started. And then uh, we branched off into the Porter, Pub mm-hmm. Porter, and uh, he was brewing that for a while. And then um, eventually Wade fell on some hard times, and he left the business after having moved up here. And that's right. why that's why the pub expanded, because there was, when the pub decided to expand and buy this other half of the building, or buy this half of the space, um, it used to be owned by a hardware store. And they had a garage in the back. So that came with it. Yeah. So what happened was they moved Wade and all his stuff from the York Cyber Center up here to this back former garage, okay. and, which is now the brewery. Yeah. And uh, uh, he started brewing out of that, and then he... Just everything kind of fell apart. So a couple years went by. I was still involved with the homebrew shop in town. And Jeff had said, do you think you would be willing to try starting up the system and giving it a go? And I said, well, I've never really done a whole batch of beer on the system. I've helped wait out different mm-hmm. stages of it. And I said, I think I could do it. Because the nice thing about it, uh, the Austin Pugsley system, is it's very simple. It's just like an, a, a, a very large homebrew system. So I had enough knowledge to be able to deal with it and uh, i did and it took about a year for us to clean out the place and get everything uh, ready to go again and that is that's and a real old school it's very, peter austin system it, like I the th- brick and everything i think it's i think it's one of the first if not that's the prototype I, that's what i thought i remembered you saying well and i'll yeah. tell you, and what reinforced this and alan pugsley is quite uh, available to contact uh-huh. you know so I have contacted him on more than one occasion, but we've had some problems with the Grundys. And uh, oh, okay. so he had recommended this one part. He said, look, I'll send it to you. So he sent me this part that's supposed to work. Uh-huh. And it, of course it didn't work. So I call him back. I said, I said, man, this is not working out. He says, it has to work. I said, <laughs> I said, well, I would like it to work. I yes. said, but it's not fitting. I said, this is just not right. He said, well, take a picture and give me the numbers on the tank and everything. So I did. And he says, you know what? He said, that doesn't surprise me because I think that's one of our original systems wow. that we designed. And he said, so that's why the parts aren't, aren't standard. Yeah. For the, in fact, within those Grundys, there are multiple variations of these parts. Really? Yeah. So, wow. Um, we ended up getting the problem addressed through other means, but nonetheless, yeah, it's an old system. I mean, I gotta, I gotta admit, I haven't heard a brewer say the word Grundy in quite a few years, and they used to be everywhere. Yep, they were yep. like, that's what they are. Yeah. They're Grundies. They're not the, you know, the cylindrical conicals, but yeah, the, kind, the, of. They're, they're kind of a scoop bottom. Yeah, instead of a, you know. yeah, 
Yeah, it, the whole thing is a challenge to work with. It really is. It's, and I'm 61 years old, you know, and I'll tell you what, it's it, it, it can grind on you. you know, climbing in this tank, climbing out of that tank. Yeah, a lot of lot of scrubbing. Yeah. Yeah. But but it is elegant in its simplicity. That's oh, yeah. what I've been saying. And yeah. you know, beer is still beer, and, and the process. I don't care if you're you're at Trogues, uh, or or if you're at Back Porch. The process is still the same. Right. You know, you mash, you run off, sparge, blah blah blah, ferment, the whole thing. Yeah. So that doesn't change. Yeah, it's you the, can add a few things to that, but bells and whistles right. are, are always welcome. Yeah, uh, and I have very few. So, <laughs> but right. you know. There's not many bells or whistles. Oh my God, no, 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 no. <laughs> a couple of rocks you bang together. That's funny. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what kind of what kind of beer were they serving before they put the homebrew on? Like Bass and Guinness. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sure. And and they've always had a wonderful selection uh, of beers, international and mm-hmm. and and domestic. Um, you don't find a lot of the traditional, uh, grand commercial type things here i mean they are here yeah. but it, that's not the big sellers the big sellers are usually the craft yeah, that's why people are that coming here. exactly yeah exactly yeah. um so i have a lot of competition unfortunately and well that's and what i was going to ask so about small. that that's not a normal situation no, no. It, it, but in a way it's been beneficial because uh we get like there's such a a large portion of our clientele that are regular customers which is what makes this place so special because it, it it came at a time w- w- that was critical in in beer the beer industry mm-hmm. uh it, it arrived on the scene in this little town at, at just the right time with this uh beer selection and uh I, I think it's benefited us because these regulars then glommed on to what i was doing and i think they like it they like the fact that even though i produce a lot of the same beers uh for example the red is a staple the mm-hmm. ipa is a staple the the pub daddy is a staple now uh the porter uh, there are some slight variations from time to time. I have no economies of scale because I'm only right. brewing seven barrels at a time, and we only do about 160 barrels total for the year. You know, Trugs does that in a day probably or whatever. Or more. Or yeah. more. Yeah. So uh, I have no economies of scale, and so I'm ordering a small batch stuff. Uh, so there are times I, there are certain hops I can't get again mm-hmm. or aren't available, so I have to switch things up here and there. Same with yeast. Uh, but on the whole... What I produce is remarkably consistent, given the simplicity of that system and the tremendous number of variables I have to work with. I've been, I've been very surprised. Uh-huh. That, that, and so, so I get a loyal following, and I get people that will come in, hey, when are you putting on the summer, Midsummer Night's Wheat? When are you putting on the cream ale? When you, yeah, nice. That's kind of cool. Yeah, know? that's kind of cool. It's nice. And every year we do the Excalibur Imperial. That's our holiday offering. It's about yeah, 9 to 10%. Usually people are only asking like that about pumpkin beers. Right, 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 right. Yeah. People wait for that, and then every year... When I brew it, I brew it in October, and we serve it uh, the week of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. What I'll do is I'll set aside a cask or two and age it for the year. Uh-huh. And then so the next year, I'll put the new batch and the old batch on at the same time. Nice. And people love that. They come in, and I'll tell them, have the new batch first, uh-huh. then have the old batch, ah, because okay. there's such a smoothing that takes place uh-huh. and a maturation in that one-year-old cask now, that it's do you, very different. Do you do any hand pump? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we do. We're not well, one so of the few, okay. few around here. Yeah, I mean, that a lot I do of some. Have dropped it. Yeah. yeah, and that's understandable. It's a oh, pain. Yeah, but but yeah. it's cool though. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, I think a lot of people dropped it during the pandemic because yeah, nobody, nobody nobody's coming, coming in. in. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it has a very short shelf life. So yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when was the last time you added a new beer? Hmm. It's hard for me to do so because uh, my capacity is pretty limited back there, and everything mm-hmm. is done just through 
uh, kegs, and we're, we're kegging out of the actual Grundy tanks, which are also serving as conditioning tanks. Uh-huh. So I don't have, like, I can't keg up a batch and put it into a big walk-in somewhere and then have that tank available. The right. tank won't be available for four to six weeks. Oh, it's in there. So and you're yeah, kegging off. right. So okay. So, so you're that, not kegging off the whole thing, and then right. Gotcha. Which is okay. Would, obviously, would be preferable yeah. for sure. Um, so it limits what I can do, and so for me to keep uh, a regular rotation of the flagship beers and the seasonal stuff that I've traditionally produced, that doesn't open up a lot of slots. Gotcha. But th- there have been, you know, okay. uh, one of the ones I did a Scottish uh, heavy not too long oh, ago, okay. a couple years ago. Um, I'm trying to think of anything more recent. That's I got it. I just brewed last night the uh, Tell Me Rye, but that's that's something I've brewed quite a few I times think I before. Remember. Yeah. yeah, some of them don't make an appearance for several years, and it's cool because then when that beer's on again, people are like, "Oh, you brought that back? Yeah. How cool!" And then you know, sales will go really well for the first two, three weeks. Sure. Plus, we have the passport thing here. If you remember what that is. Uh, every year there's people that belong to this passport club and so they come in and the idea is to fulfill your passport within that one year of i don't know the the number of beers varies for the passport but it usually hovers around 100 so you have okay. basically 300 plus days to do 100 beers in this passport which is nice because it allows them to get beers in they might normally not get in because they don't sell that well uh, but during the passport blah, they know blah, blah. they're gonna and so it really helps our stuff too when we produce it well. because people are because you have to get as part of the obligation to the passport i think six house beers oh okay and we never have six on tap at one time <laughs> so, so yeah so zero. people have to wait yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it really it really helps. And then there's trivia night here Monday nights and that's a big that's a big help in uh-huh. product. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a challenge uh to compete against some of the best beers in the world and even some of the best local Pennsylvania craft beers, you mm-hmm. know. But it it's working. It's it sells. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the test, that's right? That's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it selling? Yeah, okay. So, um Carlisle's a college town. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Does that does that help? Most of the clientele that comes in here tends to be the regular uh, residents, full-time residents of town. We do get college kids that come in here, and they're, oh, they're no, nice. I was mostly thinking faculty and staff. Well, faculty, yes. Yeah. Uh, but there are college students that come in here, too. Okay. Uh, which, this is nice. And, and yeah. they, they visit, I think, Molly a lot more. It's a lot closer to the campus. Oh, okay. It's a couple blocks down. And they have... Uh, Molly Pitcher. Yeah, Molly Pitcher. And they, yeah. have a, they have a nice outdoor area okay. in the back, which is very convenient for those kids. So um, does it make an impact on the business? To some degree it does, but not not a whole lot. Not, okay. not for this place. Now, other places maybe more so, but uh, it might affect Molly Pitcher more than it does us. Generally speaking, uh, for us, it's not a huge influence. However, for the, for the college staff there, they do like to come in here, mm-hmm. the professors. I know quite a few of them, and they'll come in here and have meetings and things like that in oh, here. Huh. Rotary meets in here. A lot of local uh, organizations choose this place to meet. Because it's got the facility for it. Uh-huh. You know. The place has been open for, what is it, 30 years now? Uh, Close? Jeez, I wish I could. I feel so stupid. Because oh, no. <laughs> they just had an anniversary. Um, it's been, it's yeah, it's been over 30 years. Yeah. Not much past. Maybe maybe they've just had their 35th anniversary. I'm not 100% sure. So, I mean, what keeps the place long. open 30 years? I think the tradition that they gained rather quickly in town because they didn't have, there was no Molly Pitcher in town. There was no Desperate right. Times. There was no Bird's Nest. There was no Back Porch. This was the only thing. And it was the only, um, it was the only bar that, I can't say only, because uh, certainly the gingerbread man in town oh, right, had right. a full dining facility. But it, was, it is one of the few bars in town with, with a huge beer selection. 
that was unprecedented unprecedented at that time yeah. when they opened and had a full full menu and yeah. a full restaurant and i think that's that's why it became so popular and then they did all kind of fun things like they had a super bowl club and then they started the trivia thing quite a while ago and it's yes it, it it's increased business and 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 helps profit but at the same time it's really engendered a sense of community within this within this pub and it's starting to happen at Molly Pitcher, I think, and the Gingerbread Man has its own clientele mm-hmm. uh, that has been well established for many years. But I think this is a very special place in this town. Yeah. So I think that's what's what's kept it up. And the and the the, the kind of dark wood motif, mm-hmm. the, the English very UK, comforting. it's very comforting. Yeah, it's, it's comfortable. It's cozy. Yeah, it's always seemed nice. more like a a place to be more than a place to go. If that makes sense, uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I yeah. think that's one hundred percent correct. And and since you know they've recently started putting tables outside on the sidewalk, saw that. Yeah. That has been uh, very beneficial. To the town loosen up on that, or oh, they're fine with it. The borough has been really good. Uh, this Carlisle borough during the pandemic allowed open containers. I town. saw that. Isn't that, Is that awesome? Still on? Yes. Wow. It's still on. And I was shocked. Well, you know what? We haven't gone to Elliot or anything. So I think you can trust people to a, yes. a, a large extent. You yes. know, I mean, geez. Uh, so it's really fun. Like they have that ice festival here mm-hmm. in February. And it is so nice to see people walking around town with a beer or a drink. But it's a bunch of children and whole families. And, you know, it's it's yeah. just a nice, it's Americana. Yes. It's a nice experience. So, yeah, it's it's kind of nice to see that open container policy. Yeah, being that was pretty cool. Liberal. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah. I wouldn't want to see anybody drive around a lot. No, <laughs> no, no. And, and again, I just, I, it was not something I expected to see. In I know. Carolina. I didn't either. No. I really didn't. But. <laughs> It's here, and I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans. Not that I walk around all the time with a drink in my hand, but you know, it's nice to know that if you walk off a premise and you still have that beer in your hand, you're you're not not going to get tagged. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, that's all I got. Wow, this has been fun. That has been fun. I'm it's so glad. You, it's great to see you, too. Yeah. All yeah. right. Good to be here. Uh, I'll give you my autograph later. All right. <laughs> Take care, man. All right, Lou, you too. Man, it was good to talk to him. There's not a lot of us left from those days. Anyway, that was the start of my day, and at 10.45, I packed up the gear, walked it over to the car, and started my crawl. The first place I went was the Hook and Flask Distillery Pub, just up the block on Hanover Street from Market Cross. Hook and Flask has a firehouse decor, think Hook and Ladder. I checked the menu and decided to have a trucky cocktail, whiskey, simple syrup, and fresh lemon juice. A whiskey sour at 11 a.m. sounded healthy, and it was damned good. Fresh, balance of sweet and tart, and the whiskey wasn't overwhelming or nasty funky. It was good. The spirits are all made in-house, in the back, and they have rum, vodka, an agave spirit, and gin, two flavored moonshines, and three whiskeys, bourbon, rye, and an unspecified American whiskey. I saw infusion vessels on the bar, and I asked the bartender about them. There was some fairly standard stuff, There's also a black pepper vodka and a ginger and habanero-infused agave spirit. If only I'd had more time. But I didn't, so I kept moving. Next stop was one of the two places Kevin had told me about that hadn't been on my itinerary. Which was part of the reason I had to keep moving. Seven Dots, that's S-E-V-E-N-D-O-T-S, is a pizza place that's added a little Sabco Brewmagic Brewhouse. The counter guy told me that the plan had originally been to open a brewery and add a pizzeria, 
but they opened the pizzeria to make money to open the brewery several years later. That's devotion. The woman sitting next to me at the bar got an onion and sausage pizza while I was waiting on my beer, and wow, did it smell and look good. Seven Dots has won Best of Awards for their pizza, so of course I got a cup of chili. Look, I don't know, I'm nuts. It was good chili, though. The beer, their porter, was okay. Not flawed, could have been a little more flavorful, but it was okay. I'd definitely go back for a crack at that pizza, I'll tell you that. Off I went, and this was the longest leg between the stops of my pub crawl, a whole quarter mile. <laughs> Took me right through the center of town, the intersection of Hanover and High Streets. It was a beautiful day, and the square looked pristine and historic indeed, with the county courthouse and St. John's Episcopal Church. St. John's sits on what's called Episcopal Square, which was ground set aside by William Penn's family in 1751 for the Church of England. And the first St. John's Church was built there in 1752. I really like old stuff like that. The next stop was the Carlisle Taproom of the Vegetable Hunter, a vegan cafe and brewery based out of Harrisburg. The place looked more like a little lunch bistro than a taproom, but there was a three or four seat bar in the back and I headed for that. There was a guy back there madly whisking together some kind of savory-smelling sauce or soup, but he downed tools and asked what he could get me. Beer, I said. What you got? And he said, Hempzilla, CBD-infused IPA, and, and I stopped him right there and said, let's do that one. I mean, my feet hurt. Why not try the old CBD? Well, you've had a hazy IPA, right? This was more like a turbid IPA, but it was tasty. There was a black pepper note to it that was fresh and intriguing, and I tore into it. I only drank about half of it, though, because when I was putting it into Untapped, I said it was 8.5%. Miles to go before I slept, friends. Next stop was across High Street, that cheese shop I mentioned, Central Wedge. I didn't have a cooler with me, so I wasn't going to buy any, but I had to see it. Lucky timing, they were between customers, and I was able to talk to the owner, Stephanie Beeman. She's about as nuts about cheese as I am about whiskey. It was a good conversation. Central Wedge looks like a cheese plant. White, stainless, glass, and just gleaming. There are coolers of cheese, charcuterie, we talked a lot about finding charcuterie, and craft sodas, all from Pennsylvania. Hey, she had Gutessa cheeses from over the mountain in Howard. Cool. Stephanie's my kind of person. She did give me a taste of an exclusive Pennsylvania wine-laced cheese that was delicious. Thanks for that. I'll be back next time, and I'll bring that cooler. Whew, it was time for lunch. I already knew where I wanted to go, the Hamilton restaurant for their signature Hachi dog. The Hachi is the family's version of a Texas hot, but with a slice of American cheese folded underneath. I'm not exaggerating when I say that I had my two Hachis in less than 60 seconds after I ordered them. The old fellow working the grill brought them over. That was fast, I said. You got good timing, he told me, and laughed. They were excellent. The hot dog and roll were basic, not really special, but good. The sauce was quite good, and the extra mustard I asked for was great. The cheese, eh, it was there, it was okay. But the thing that put the Hachi dog over the top, to my surprise, was the coarsely diced onions. Why? Well, they were completely clean, with no root chunks or skin in them, and they were cold. I'd never noticed the temperature of onions on Texas Hots before. They were just there, but these were cold, and I tell you, it made my day. I scarfed them. Now I want to go back and see if the onions are always cold or if they were just out of the fridge. Moving on. As I walked down the sidewalk, I tucked in my shirt and stuffed my ball cap in my back pocket before I walked into 113 Social. It's a bit fancier than the other places I was going that day. A cocktail bar. 
and I headed straight for it through the dining room. The bars in the back, a high-ceilinged place done up in brown wood and white walls, square, with a squared-off horseshoe bar, all overlooking a nicely hardscaped area out back. There was an impressive spirits list, but I decided to go ultra-conservative and see what they made of it. I'll have a Johnny Walker black and soda, tall glass, no garnish. She poured a good measure of whiskey, filled the highball glass with ice, added the soda from a bottle, not a gun, and gave it two slow stirs with a bar spoon before adding the straw. Nice. The menu ranged from fried mozzarella and shrimp and grits to an Argentinian flank steak and a tuna poke bowl, and it smelled good when the lawyers next to me got their lunches. I mean, I was happily full of those Hamiltonian hot cheese, and I was still tempted. I left about a third of the drink, still behaving myself, and hit the bricks again. The last stop before turning around, the last stop before I had to wait for the places that didn't open till three, was Molly Pitcher Brewing. I guess that name was inevitable for a brew pub in Carlisle. Molly Pitcher was nice, large, cool, wasn't awful hot outside, but it was warming up, and comfy bar seats. I was sold. Definitely not feeling the IPA vibe at this point, so I got a small glass of Redcoat ESB, which was quite damned good. Malty, firm, a touch husky. I went ahead and finished it. I'd have stayed there longer, and Kevin had said he was coming by around three, but I knew now that I had to keep moving to get home at a decent hour. No worries, it was 2.45 and Café Bruges was about to open. Back on my feet, toddling time, and I walked down High Street and made the short left onto Pitt Street. I'd actually been to Café Bruges once before, back in 2010 with my brother-in-law Carl, the same guy who had the place in North Carolina where we stayed. I liked the relaxed vibe and the Belgian frites, not to mention the Belgian beer selection, and this is the other Carlisle OG beer bar I want to get to in the project. To succeed as an early Belgian beer bar in central Pennsylvania is a signal accomplishment. I'd been looking forward to returning. I never thought it would take this long. It was worth the wait. I had the place to myself for the first 20 minutes, and the bartender was still puttering around doing opening things. I checked the draft list. Wow. Golden Drock 9000 and Clocker Roland from Van Stiedenberger Brewery, Chimay Green, Coulon Chouf, Monk's Café Sour, and then just bottles galore. I settled for a Bavic wit, staying low with the ABV. Café Bruges is quiet in decor. Wood tones, dark green paint, tin ceiling, and brewery tin signs for Belgian brands. Maybe too quiet, I found myself getting dozy. Menu, please? I decided to get a cup of coffee, which was excellent rich, well-made, and a slice of peanut butter pie, which was also excellent, rich, and well-made. It turned out to be a brilliant move, as I was instantly alert and centered and didn't have any issues with drowsiness the rest of the day. Cheers, Café Brews dessert chef. Another stop I'd been looking forward to was next, the Grand Illusion Cider Bar. Grand Illusion is back on High Street, with a set of sidewalk tables, a bar inside, and a front room that's set up like a parlor, complete with a fireplace, not lit, a grandfather clock, and a couch. I knew they focused on cider. I didn't realize that they make their own. Well, let's have some. I had four-ounce pours of their London Pub Cider, dry, crisp, evident apple flavor, and the Paranormal, a 100% pear cider that was dry and light-bodied, with a pear-drop flavor, easily the best pear cider I've had to date. There are other ciders besides their own, a few beers, wines, and craft sodas, all Pennsylvania products and all on draft. There's an indefinably different vibe to the cider places I've been to and to the PA Cider Fest compared to beer bars and brew pubs and beer festivals. It's more subdued, but at the same time more quietly happy, pleased. I 
get the impression that there are a lot fewer cider geeks than beer geeks, maybe that takes the pressure off. I had set up my day so that my last stop was near the car, and that's where I was headed now, Back Porch Brewing. Back Porch is long and relatively narrow, a kind of semi-industrial chic with brick walls and concrete floors and hanging strings of Edison lights. The long wooden bar in the back called to me, and by golly, I answered. I'll admit, I was a bit taken aback when the first beer I noticed on the board was peanut butter Hefeweizen. Peanut butter and banana? Is that the reasoning? Well, maybe, but they had the base Hef as well, so I got that. It was good, leaned into the banana flavor more than the spicy side of things, which was great for that warm afternoon. I got into a discussion with the bartender and someone who worked at Hook and Flask, which is next door, about the raspberry-flavored Kolsch. They had the base version of that, too, and whiled away the time as one does. There were good smells coming out of the kitchen, and I would have liked to try something, but I was saving myself for the next stop, and folks, I'm glad I did. I walked back to the car. Uh, there's free street parking just one block off Hanover Street. There's a pro tip for you. And I headed south. Two and a half miles straight down Hanover Street, after it turns into Holly Pike, are some tents and trucks and shacks with a sign, Joe's Chili Stop. I'd been tipped off to this place by the Great Eats in Carlisle Area Facebook group. Thanks, guys. Good call. Joe's a good guy, a vet, who makes meat and sides. It was about 5.30 on Friday when I got there, and all he had left was brisket and pulled pork, plain and with sauce. Not really a brisket guy, as I've mentioned before, and I prefer to put my own sauce on, or not, so the plain pulled pork was for me. It came in a soft sub-roll, and I opted for the caramelized onions Joe offered. Boy, was that good. I mean, delicious. The pork was clean, without big chunks of fat or stringy stuff. It had a good level of real smoky flavor. And those onions were great. Soft, sweet, and juicy. Better than sauce. I was almost as taken by the potato salad, which was not the overly sweet stuff that's all too common in central PA. But, as Joe told me when I asked, tastes more like I made it with deviled eggs. And he laughed. He laughed a lot, to be honest, and it was infectious. I left with a full belly and a smile on my face. One more stop. Desperate Times Brewing is on the other side of town, up beside the Carlisle Fairgrounds. As I mentioned, Jeep Jamboree, a lot was full of all models of Jeep. Desperate Times was hopping, and I was lucky to find one stool open at the bar. Busy, but I got served quickly, almost before I'd made up my mind, which was hard because the beer list was full of the classics I like. Oatmeal Stout, Pale Ale, Two Pale Ales, Hefeweizen, Brown Ale, Pilsner, and three IPAs, a Red, a Hazy, and a Milkshake. But they also had Schwartz beer, and that's what I got. It came tall and black, and it was great, right on the money. Schwartz is one of my favorites, and this was well done. I took my time with it. Desperate Times is a classic kind of brew pub. Big bar, big open space, high ceiling, and a lot of happy people drinking beer and eating bar food on a Friday night. Guys off work, girls relaxing, families with kids, and a podcaster or two. I liked it. But now it was time to head back home, over the Juniata River and through the valleys. Carlisle was a good time, a lot of good places, a lot of good food and drink, and still more places I didn't get to. I'll be back for that Café Bruges interview and some of the barbecue places. There's a surprisingly varied barbecue scene in town and some other things in the surrounding area. I wanted to plug a quick reminder in here. This weekend, July 29th and 30th, is Milheim Summerfest. 
Starting at 11 a.m. Saturday and noon on Sunday, there will be live music at three different venues, Pisano Winery, the Milheim Hotel, and Elk Creek Cafe's Creekside venue behind the Fire Hall. There's a big Penns Valley Library book sale in the Fire Hall and crafts and artwork for sale at each venue, with more for your attention at the Green Drake Art Gallery, across from Elk Creek and the hotel. I direct your attention particularly to the Creekside venue, because that's where my brother-in-law Chris will have his Woodfellas crafts for sale, and my daughter Nora will have a display for the American Philatelic Society, with information on stamp collecting and stamp grab bags and stuff for sale. Beer, wine, and food, live music, stamps, free parking, and no cover or admission charge. Come on out to Milheim this weekend, and if you see me, or if you hear me, some folks recognize these dulcet tones at the Belfont Craft Beverage Expo last month. Say hi! One last last, as my friend the late great Jack Curtin used to say, I just wrote a piece for the Happy Valley Adventure Bureau that covers all the current breweries and wineries in Center County. That's ten breweries and five wineries. Let me tell you, that took me more than a day. You can look for the article to be posted to dispatch.happyvalley.com in the near future. That's the show. Thanks to Kevin Spicer for that interview. It was great to catch up with you, buddy. And thanks to my daughter, Nora, who doesn't only find the music and sounds for the podcast or flog stamps for the APS. She also runs home from work sometimes to play ball with Pippin when I'm away all day on visits like this. Thanks. You can find pictures of most of these places on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll find pictures and links and ways to contact me. Please consider subscribing to get notice of new episodes. And if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Even better, tell your friends. Thanks! I do have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree, Twitter profile, oh, excuse me, X profile, both are at Lou Bryson, and at the Scene Through a Glass Facebook page and blog. If you like the show, rather than a paid subscription, this is an easy way to drop me a few bucks to help keep this going, pay tips for bartender, gas for the Subaru, and beers. Thanks to those of you who have already donated. You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked on an episode, what could be improved, and what Central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. Pennsylvania is the only state in America that is shaped exactly like Pennsylvania. The next episode may finally be about the wineries of Central Pennsylvania, and the wine they make, and the fun they offer with it. Or maybe the proliferation of coffee roasters in the area. Or maybe the delicious ice cream. It all depends on who wants to answer my emails. We'll see what happens. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Scene Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State. <laughs>